Welcome to Trinity Health's Medically Speaking with your host, Robin Sills. Johnny, I can't, I'm laughing. Welcome, everyone. This is Robin Sills, Trinity Health New England. Welcome to another edition of Medically Speaking. So there's been a whole team of people trying to figure out what music to use um, because we were changing from our old Medically Speaking music when it was St. Mary's Hospital, but now we're Trinity Health of New England, of course. So we're utilizing new music that was kind of in one of our commercials. So I think it has a summer vibe. So I think we'll stick with it till September, Johnny. And I don't know, we may need to change it up because I feel like I'm in a reggae. A true reggae band. So again, thank you everyone for joining us for another edition of Medically Speaking. And this is my second time back at the studio. We're not doing it remotely, which I'm really excited about. Um, We have um, spent the better part of the last couple of months really focusing on um, coronavirus. And of course, because that is the big thing that affects all of our lives. And we've talked a lot about, you know, initially the testing and and the coronavirus coronavirus as it affected our hospitals and our communities and we talked a lot about telehealth over the last several weeks. I wanted to turn the page a bit and still focus on what coronavirus has done to healthcare and access to healthcare over the last several months and you know truly one of the things that was incredibly impacted was our emergency rooms across the state across the country. Visits to the emergency departments across the country it's been quoted that they have dropped by half. While some of it can attribute to being being people staying home, some health experts are also saying that those there were those individuals that were afraid to go. And because people were afraid to go, they delayed access to care. So I have a health expert on with us tonight. That is our St. Francis Hospital Chair of Emergency Medicine, Dr. Stephen Wolf. Hi, Doc. Good evening. How are you? Good to be here. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for joining me. I know you spent your day outside today. How was it? You were at the Travelers helping um, our emergency tent up there. Uh, Yep. We're helping uh, the PGA with managing the whole COVID question here as well. That's awesome. Everybody safe and uh, yet have the tournament go on. So, uh, so far, it looks pretty good. And uh, we'll... uh, continue the vigilance. Yeah, it's exciting to have sports back at any level, right? I know it's yeah. it looks really different this year, so um, it must be really different for yourself. I know we've all been involved because Trinity has been a sponsor for so many years, and we've all been involved at the tournament, so it must look really different. It is. Well, there's, there's no, there are no spectators right. um, this year, which makes a huge difference. Um, and as well as the fact that um, the staff and support personnel to put on the tour has been, uh, the travelers has been reduced as much as possible. So there are about a thousand people uh, around. Uh, all of them have been tested or uh, and anybody arriving, you know, within the week gets tested uh, before being allowed uh, in, um, and the players are all tested. And so it's it's uh, the PGA is taking this very seriously. The it's awesome. Um, all of the medical representation from the PGA is here, as well as the management. So um, they're they're taking this all very seriously and want to keep everybody safe. Yet. Uh, try to put golf back um, on for everybody. Definitely, because psychologically we need a diversion, right? And sports is always that diversion, right? And I think my husband has watched um, the Michael Jordan thing a hundred times now. (laughs) 
it's been on so much. So there's just like nothing live, you know. So and now we're hearing baseball may come back in some level. So it's really good to see sports are, are coming back safely, as safe as they can. I think it's it's probably something that you do one step at a time, though, like everything else. Yeah, and there's a lot of planning, um, and you know, there's there's risk. Uh, nothing's risk free here, and so the whole. You know, travelers and the PGA and we and Trinity here, we're, we've been planning for months. Wow. And, um, and, and uh, you know, trying to minimize the risk as much as possible. And it's extremely important to all the parties involved. Um, this was not a foregone conclusion. Right. Um, if, uh, if everyone involved felt that this was not going to be safe or, or as, as minimal a risk as possible, realistically then it would not have been put on but uh everybody worked really hard to um sort of um map out uncharted waters um and to try to put this to to put this together so um we're hoping for a good tournament we're hoping for as little as possible in terms of covid i mean everybody is tested right and those that are positive are turned away and not allowed in so um it's uh we're we're hoping for the best with a lot of planning. So we plan for the worst and hoping for the best. And I think we have to be over you know over cautious in everything that we do. You know, I mean, I was in and out of the hospital at St. Mary's three or four times today, and I had my temperature checked every time, even though it was my fourth time in the door. And you know, everybody's just being super super cautious, and it's it's what we have to do right now. Yeah, and it's hard to maintain because we've been doing this now for so long. Right. So it's very easy to kind of relax and people are getting stir crazy and want to see their families. And, you know, you can still see family and you can still see friends, but you've got to socially distance. We've been doing a lot of outdoor uh, social distancing with, with our friends and family. And we actually strict. We keep, keep things separate. People bring... Friends will bring their own food, their own plates, their own chairs, um, and uh, we sit outside. and And it, it seems kind of weird, but um, you still have to you still have to take this seriously until the vaccine comes, mm. if it comes, and hopefully it will. Really, everything else we're doing is to try to mitigate it and to and to not catch it, but. Uh, and which is the only thing we can do right now is to really be careful with the masks and wear the masks religiously and for, the, for yourself and those around you. And um, and until the vaccine comes, there's really no other way to prevent things. And I think, you know, I, I think I take seriously for myself, you know, I think healthcare professionals, we need to be the everyday example for the, our friends right. and family around us, you know, I, I, I live in a 55 and older community, and I, they're funny. I mean, they're like, they got to the point where like, okay, it's fine. We can get together. We can do our thing. And I'm like, okay, but it needs to be really safe. I make sure they bring their chairs. If they're going to sit in chairs, I wipe them all down. And when they leave, I wipe them again, (laughs) you know, and, you know, just trying so hard and keeping, we're keeping the groups to, you know, about six of us. I said, you know, that's really safe. If you're in someone's backyard in a smaller patio, six is more than enough. You can't have more than that, you know, and, but. You know, I, I think it's really hard to do that because people want to get back to some level of normalcy. Yeah, it's very easy to slip, and I catch myself. Yeah, um, and, and uh, my wife and uh, <laughs> our kids, and you know, it's. Um, but 
it is what it is, and we just have to make the best of it. And I think, you know, you you start to forget about how many people died and how, many, how sick people were. And um, and so it's it's really you've got to continually remind yourself that this is not a joke and this is not a fabrication that many people died um, and many people can still die. And, right. um, you know, things are getting very lax in many states and they're starting to see significant spikes and hospitalizations are, are increasing. So... You know, it's it's if this continues, another city is going to be a New York. And that's what we in Connecticut did everything we could to avoid that. And that tidal wave was coming at us. Was. There was no question that, that we were going to get hit like New York. But because of everything that the mm-hmm. governor did and, and the state did and took it seriously, yeah. uh, the social distancing, the masking, the shutting, you know, it was a terrible, terrible thing for the economy. And many people lost jobs. And that's not to be, um, you know, made light of or minimized, but it, there is no question in, in anyone's mind in the medical profession that that made a huge difference. It was extremely painful uh, for everybody, especially those who, who lost income, lost their jobs, um, but it was really the only way for, for people to survive. And if we, if we get too lax, then we'll get another wave and much of that all that work and suffering will will have been for naught, and right. then we have another wave. And we're still in the first wave. People talk about the second wave. We haven't really finished the sec- the first wave, so um, that's it, that's still a reality. You know, I'm so glad that you touched upon this, and I definitely want to get to you know our discussion on the emergency room because I think that's so important about accessing care. But I'm so appreciative that you touched on this about what the state did because I myself also felt that we did a really good job here in Connecticut. We saw that wave coming up in Fairfield County, and we put the brakes on. And I think, you know, as hard as it was because you can never you can never discount all the lives that did get lost and every one of them is impactful, but it's incredible how good the work was within our hospitals and our healthcare system. And I think the community stores and shops that have worked really hard to keep people safe. Correct. And I think that, um, you know, the, the governor recognized what was coming. Um, everybody took it very seriously and uh, it really there was there was a, a time in April that we thought we had pitched a, a lot of tents. The the state had helped us with that. The National Guard, the the uh, right. the Air Force Reserve uh, put up tents, and mm-hmm. we came within a day or two of we did of, of starting to use them. Uh, and it was just it crested, and then it started to slowly recede. But it, a few more days and, uh, you know, going up in the, on the curve and we would have had to start to, uh, to push patients over to the tent. So it really, it came close. The tsunami came really close to the shore, but, yeah. uh, it pulled back and that was, that was due to the collective work of a lot of people in this state. And unfortunately, you know, the governor gets accused of, you know, having gone too far and, you know, you can never make people happy, but there is no question in my mind he did not go too far. I agree. I absolutely agree. I, I Believe me, I, I've seen people impacted from two sides, from, you know, economically, I've seen people at cap 
impacted. And then I've seen people impacted by the death or sickness of a loved one. So, you know, I truly do believe that he did not go too far. I, I absolutely agree with you. There was that had to be done. It was hard, but it had to be done. Yeah, and hopefully now with some of the other states um, rolling back uh, really quickly and not really counting their um, admission rates and, you know, it, it's not but the, the peaks that are coming in other states now are not because of a lot of testing. Uh, it's because um, they're get, coming down with COVID and, the, and what you also have to look at is hospital admission rates. And that's right. really what what tells you the you know the more you test the more positives you're going to get right of course but that doesn't necessarily tell you about the about really how sick people are and but but the but the increasing admission rates to hospitals in any particular right. state or city will give you that good a good idea that things if it's if it's starting to go up is not a good thing right and we're testing even more now because we're testing people prior to them having procedures done and surgeries done Correct. so you're going to see that testing go way up and you're you're going to have a percentage that are positive but in connecticut i think it's pretty it's not going up that much no and definitely uh, the hospitalization rates are are down. are very low so uh so far things are working fingers crossed um you know and if people open up uh, carefully and um and people observe you know social distancing keep their masks on they're still Connecticut actually is quite good about the the, the mask wearing. There are yes. a lot of states where it's 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 really poor, and overall the statistics are somewhere around fifty percent of people across the country are wearing masks uh, when they should be, and that that's that's a huge a huge problem. And you're wearing the mask not for yourself, but for the person next to you, and that person next to you is wearing the mask for you. So. Right. Uh, the mask doesn't do a great job at protecting you, um, but it protects you from uh, from what the other person is is emitting. So, if everybody's wearing the mask, everybody benefits. Especially with those asymptomatic, because there's so many people walking around that are asymptomatic. But if they wear the mask, it it really does reduce that risk. Correct. Correct. Um, I was asymptomatic. I I got tested for the antibodies, and I'm positive. Get out! I have wow. no. I have no. <laughs> I have no clue. I mean, I'm I'm in the emergency department, so I certainly know where I could have gotten it. But sure. Um, but in you know, in the height of in the height of uh, uh, of the COVID time, but never had any symptoms. But that also, you know, people think that if they've got the antibodies, they think they're immune. There's no good proof that you're immune, and if you are, no one has any clue how good that immunity is and also nobody has any clue how long it lasts so you don't want to give so, people that um, false sense of security exactly and so um you know somebody told me the other day that they were positive so they don't have to worry and i told them you're out of your mind you <laughs> you we don't know any of this so you right. might be good but you may not be and it's not worth the risk so you need to continue with your precautions that you were doing before you found out right that you were positive. You know, I, I equate that too. I mean, if you get the flu, it doesn't mean you can't get the flu again. Right. And there are also different strains. And we right. also don't know, you know, COVID may change a little bit and then, you know, you're not immune anymore. So there's just such a vast amount of knowledge that, that we don't have yet. It's incredible. Um, that will eventually, we will hopefully get a much better handle on it. But there's so much information coming out 
not necessarily all well vetted and scientifically vetted. Yeah. Um, but and so it gets confusing and people get, you know, latch on to something that they heard on the news or on the Internet or some news story came out or even medical journals are pushing things out quickly to get the information out so the normal vetting process doesn't occur right. Same thing, well like with the steroids and covid with it, it looks like uh, from a from a just a a brief sort of press statement that some, that a study in england showed that there was you know benefit for from steroids with people who were extremely ill in the icu well that may or may not be but it was not the usual way a scientific journal information is released it was right. a press release right so people can't vet that information. So it, that's what's it, it's the good and bad. You, you're getting a lot of information, but the problem is, is that not all of it is is accurate. Right. So people latch on to certain things, and then that may not may or may not be accurate. You know, we're we are in unusual times, and and I think that it's pushed everyone to try to find or be that one source of I'm going to find a cure and so these news stories get out and it, it there's such a rush of information that I think that we're overloaded as a community uh, <laughs> that's uh, an understatement <laughs> you're overloaded because you don't know what to believe you know right you, there's no way that you know what's going on and it's very difficult and it, you know people are confused and rightly so right and the scientific community is confused and so it's just a lot of information that has to be sorted out things have to be verified by real scientific testing and and studying and that takes unfortunately time um right so just, I mean, the good thing is there's a huge push for the vaccine. A lot of money is being spent and hopefully not being wasted um, to both make, ensure the, man, the adequate manufacture of the vaccine as right. well as the vaccine itself. So that, that whole back-end um, manufacturing process is also being laid out and, and prepared for so that right. it's not like the vaccine is going to be then developed and then they're going to worry about making it. It's, it's all happening in parallel. So all of that is good. And a lot of, a lot of companies are working on the same vaccine question. So um, hopefully the collective minds of all of these scientists will, will bring a vaccine a lot sooner than what it usually takes to bring out a vaccine like this. Absolutely. With a lot of great minds and hopefully a lot of great hands working on this all together, we can make it happen a lot sooner rather than later because we don't want to see this go on much longer because we're, you know, the economy suffers, you know, we, we lose lives and it's, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't allow us to go back to any level of normalcy because you're afraid to start because you're going to stop again. Correct. You know, so, you know, our original conversation tonight, I know you, when I start talking to you, I don't know, Doc, I've only talked to you once before, but it feels like I've known you forever and I could go down every single road in medicine with you. We could talk for hours. So I want to get us on track so I can, yep. so I can get you back to, what, to get the original message out, the original <laughs> message out. So, you know, I actually grabbed an interview you did um, with one of the local news stations um, about I don't know, a couple, a few weeks ago, back in May regarding 
regarding access to care and care within our emergency rooms and how during COVID with early messaging, especially with the information when you and I talked, we talked about some of the ERs in New York and that brought that level of fear to everyone. So let's talk about what you saw as an emergency room physician during the initial stages of COVID and then as we got into COVID, what you saw. Well, I mean, it really, it started toward the end of February where we started to see what was, what seemed to be something a little bit different. Um, and, and patients were starting to trickle in. Um, and then sort of the wave really got bad in March and, and then April, it, as we talked about, it was cresting. And so basically everybody that was coming in to the ER w- was pretty sick. Um, our, our normal uh, admission rate at St. Francis is about 26, 27% of all patients who we see get admitted. I mean, we were hovering around 40%, wow. uh, 45% of all comers wow. um, were getting admitted, and they were, and a lot of them were very sick. A lot of them were being intubated, um, and we were, you know, sort of. I remember reading a comment by somebody um, by. A, by an ER physician, I think in New York, that we were learning medicine on the fly with this because there was really no good textbooks on this. Um, you know, we were initially the medical profession was doing a lot of intubating, uh, which you do when someone is not not breathing well. You you put a plastic tube down into their into their lungs so you can breathe for them. Um, but as time developed, as time went on, we went we went on to different modalities, and that uh, that seemed to improve things to some degree. So it, it's and different types of medications were used and in different sequences, and so it was really um, it was not as bad as New York. I mean, New York was really turned into a war zone, a real mash unit mm-hmm. kind of atmosphere there. Um, we fortunately did not get to that point. Uh, we were able to, you know, get patients upstairs. We, it wasn't a sea of humanity in our ER yeah. um, as it was in in in, uh, in New York City and some other in some other cities. And and so, you know, we we were all struggling with this. The and and the message that had gone out was, you know, if you're sick, please come to the ER. But if you're not, stay away because. Number one, um, we may not have the ability to to get to you if you're not particularly ill or if you have a minor complaint. Um, but more importantly, we may we need the resources and the space for those who are really ill. And and um, you know, I think the public co- combined with that messaging and then also the fear of catching COVID, you know, stayed away. And so we found. We looked at some of our ambulance data during the height of the the COVID times in March, April, uh, February, March, and April, um, and we found that there was like a between a 40, 45 ish percent increase in people who were found dead at home or in cardiac arrest. So uh, from the previous year, so it was clear it you know. it, this was not all COVID. Unfortunately, we may never know for sure. Right. But people weren't coming in for strokes. People weren't coming in for appendicitis, um, uh, heart attacks. You know, things that that are that are not particularly discretionary. I mean, people have a hard time with 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 chest pain and 
you know, that's often very confusing, difficult for a patient to know, is this anything or is this real? Right. Um, and in normal times, they would just, they would have come in uh, and be checked out because that's the messaging that we have been doing for years and years and years. Same with stroke. You know, if you have a question, come in. No one's right. going to laugh at you. No one's going to make fun of you. We are, we are, we take your symptoms seriously and you need to be checked out. And if it's nothing, great. Um, and if it is something, well, then we, we've caught it early. Well, that, that, um, you know, so, so what we were finding, but even so cardiac arrest, you can see because people often will wait too late, Right. but you know, a perf- perforated appendix, oh. um, you know, appendicitis, we didn't, we hardly saw appendicitis during the height of the COVID. So what happened with those patients? Right. Um, and so with a lot of things that you would normally come to emergency department or at least get checked by your doctor, but if you're in severe pain, you're going to come to the emergency room. We, we did not see a lot of this of these ailments and some of which are not particularly discretionary and so, what drives uh, to the emergency room too is like you just intub- um, intimated was you know the, the physicians so they weren't even accessing care to the doctors which in turn would either send them for imaging or send them right. to the hospital because patients didn't want to go anywhere I know there was a decrease in visits to the doctors as well as a decrease right. in accessing any kind of testing well, the doctor's offices were closed. You couldn't come in and see the doctors. The whole telehealth thing that you've talked about, right. you know, that hadn't yet come about. I mean, this all changed over a couple of months. So right. access has changed now. But it, then your doctor's office was closed. Maybe you got somebody on the phone um, and they most likely told you to go to the ER, which you may or may not have wanted to do during right. those times. So there were very little options for patients, but there were a lot of ailments that were that are serious that people weren't coming to the emergency department for and most likely contributed to that significant increase in in deaths at home and um, so that's kind of why I think it's extremely important that people realize that things have changed that it's it's not COVID all the time at least in <laughs> Connecticut um, you know our numbers are way down like, too right doc in the hospitals yes, they're our, way down our, way down our admissions for covid are way down um you know um our our emergency department for instance has is is extremely clean it has private rooms you know people are very worried about catching covid the likelihood of that is extremely small um everybody is masked uh physicians providers everybody in the er is masked whether you're a patient or or a staff member so that in and of itself increases the safety, you know, hugely. And then um, just about every room is private, so you've, you've got that. And uh, so the, the, the risk of staying home with a possible serious ailment is now far more uh, significant than the very small chance that you would catch COVID by coming to an ER. So it's extremely important that people realize that that it is not what it might have, you know, that everybody's envisioning what right. New York looked like. Right. And it's not that way anymore. And even New York's getting better now. But Absolutely. Um, the, the ERs in the state are not like that. So um, people do need to contact their physicians. I mean, there's a lot of telehealth. There's a lot more access now than it was during the height of the COVID crisis. And, and ERs are functioning and operating and 
uh, have the have the resources and the, the the space to handle people. I think it's that fear of actually walking into the hospital. And I know you know you and I talked about this last week, but you know there was a lot of us um, that are employees of Trinity Health, and they wanted us to work from home because they wanted as many people out of the hospital as they could to care for those patients. So they didn't have a lot of traffic, making sure people were safe. So as we've started to come back to the hospital, it's a weird feeling, right? Because you're walking back in to an environment that almost was, you know, just just pressed to the max or to the limit. And you're a little fearful to walk in. But I have to tell you, I've been pretty much back at the hospital, I don't know, the last three or four weeks. And it's just so incredible how much care is taken at every entrance to the hospital. You know, we're still monitoring everyone. A woman had walked into the front door of the hospital today. She wanted to check in with a loved one. There was someone there taking her temperature, giving her a mask, calling upstairs, getting, you know, the process where it's not, it's definitely so safe. It's absolutely incredible the amount of work that's gone in to keep our our hospital safe so people can access care. Yeah, and wearing a mask is not optional. So, right. Uh, unlike outside, where or in the supermarket, where someone who's being selfish isn't wearing a mask, um, everybody has to wear a mask and are, is given a mask at the entry if they don't have one. But it is not optional uh, for anybody to be in the ho- in, in the hospital with, without wearing a mask. So really, and that in and of itself is is the safest thing that everybody can do. And obviously. Surfaces are are wiped clean all always, and and never, and really the the best things that anyone can do is wear the mask and wash your wash your hands well for twenty seconds. Um, those two things um, do more than anything else because frankly, you'll always touch a surface that may not be pristine anywhere, and you know so. You, Absolutely, the biggest the biggest thing the, uh, that that you can do for yourself is is wash your hands well all the time or use the use Purell and that that combined with the mask makes all the difference and we and we have really bad habits of touching our face we can't help it you don't realize how many times you touch your face in a day yeah and wearing the mask makes it even harder we're always adjusting the mask so it's uh it's not easy especially in the the hot weather um Mm. Just, you know, my staff here has strict instructions to wear masks all the time here at at Travelers, if nothing else, as an example for everyone to wear the masks. So if we're we're not wearing them, people aren't going to be wearing them. So we're wearing them. But it is... It is not easy in, in hot weather. No, and you're standing out in the, you know, in the humid weather. And it's always humid the week of travelers. We never get around that. We always have that humid yeah. weather. So I, I'm sure that it's definitely not easy for your staff to be there. But they're setting a good example. Yes, they are. They're <laughs> a poor thing. <laughs> so when you did this interview, this interview was back um, in May, um, May 13th, actually. What can you say? What has changed now? That's a month ago. Have you seen a difference in um, people accessing care in our emergency rooms over the past month? I mean, we've had a lot of commercials out there promoting and letting people know, not just us, but a lot of the other hospitals across the state, letting people know how safe it is. Are you seeing a difference? Yeah, I think uh, we're we're seeing the same as as other ERs in the state that there's a, a slow increase. I mean, some days are heavier than others, but it's over time. It's a steady 
um, increase, but it's not by leaps and bounds. So I think the message is getting out there, and more importantly, it's important for us to continue that messaging. Absolutely. Because it takes a while for everybody to, to, to hear it and see it. Uh, and believe it, um, and so it's 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 getting better, but it's definitely not where it was. Um, now, I'm not necessarily expecting things to be the exact same, and certainly people who came to the ER didn't always need to, or they could have accessed their doctor at the but, right. but certainly the number the the numbers that everybody across the country saw in terms of you know thirty, forty, fifty percent decline in ER visits. That's clearly that's a huge sea change that that will be detrimental to people and so it's important that they seek care when it's appropriate mm-hmm. um you know if it's a minor thing they can speak to their physician but obviously if severe pain chest pain stroke symptoms abdominal pain those things difficulty breathing those things you know you you want to be seen in a in a place that can do something about it and that's the emergency department so you know, and, and what I'm also afraid of is that people will not kind of go back to the routine of routine care. You know? Right. And so, um, you know, a lot of cancer treatment stopped, and hopefully people will con- will resume that, and also regular colonoscopies that people had, and, and cancer surveillance, all of these things um, that, that require surveillance and perhaps procedures in order to, to monitor you know, hopefully people will re-engage with their medical providers so that those things, um, you know, don't fall by the wayside. I never forget a physician I knew, a podiatrist actually, very, very dear friend, and he was scheduled for a colonoscopy, and there was a huge snowstorm here in Connecticut, and um, uh, he he never got back to the colonoscopy, and he passed away from cancer. And wow. Extremely sad, and that's really something I just don't want to see from anyone um, that that they missed that they missed that opportunity to resume their care and uh, get the test that they were scheduled for that might have been postponed. So that would that would be a tragedy. That was a tragedy, and I just want to make sure that people don't don't let those things slip. Absolutely, and I you know I would tell all of our audience out there, especially if they are already patients of of ours. I know our staff within the medical group regionally is working really hard to make sure we get all those patients that um, were scheduled for those types of procedures, particularly colonoscopies and any other procedures that involved um, screening for their care. We are making calls today and trying to get those patients back in. But, you know, making sure that if you haven't scheduled those tests that you do so. Yeah, no, I think that's that's um, well said. And, um, you know, I know that, like you said, the doctor's offices and staff are working to to bring people back. But it's just hopefully they will take the calls and make the appointments and uh, get back on track because things are safe. Everybody's tested um, if they're going to be staying over in the hospital. Things are things are, are are made very safe in the hospital. So yeah, and like we said um, earlier, with the testing, you know, we see there's an increase in testing, and we talked about those being done pre-procedure. That's a really important thing. We're making sure that patients are are negative before we're actually doing procedures, you know, and that's important to keep what we're calling these COVID-free zones in the hospital safe. 
Correct. And um, and we also and they're also, you know, we 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 do the testing. And if someone's positive but needs the procedure, then they get the procedure. But then they're placed in an area where where it is not a covid free zone. So those patients are sequestered. And and it's just like all the other patients that we would treat with tuberculosis or other infectious diseases, C. difficile, all those things. I mean, those patients we've we've handled and isolated patients for years. This was nothing new other than the fact that there were so many. There were so many. You couldn't isolate them anymore because the whole hospital was 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 full of patients that right. had COVID. But right. but that situation has completely flipped uh, back to much more normal. And so, for instance, during the height of the COVID, we had four ICUs, four or five ICUs running. We had three normally, and they had to add two more. They converted some other areas to ICU. So people were clearly ill, and um, and but now that has all subsided, and so most of the hospital now is completely COVID-free, and then we do have isolate patients that do have COVID that still need to have procedures or are sick or those those sort of things. So I think it is the safe hospitals to either to have to 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 come into the hospital right. and and um, be assured that you will, if you are COVID free, you will stay COVID free. You know, my husband was really worried about me actually going back into the hospital. He's like, honey, I, do you know, I personally feel the safest when I'm in the hospital and when I'm in any one of our medical practices. I spent my day today between the hospital and four of other practices and we wear a mask, but everything is so intensely cleaned and everybody is so intent with how they're doing the CDC guidelines that I feel so completely safe. You're more safe going in there than you are access going into a restaurant. Yeah, I, it, I'm, if I'm going shopping, I, it's much uh, it's a bigger risk going uh, to the to the store than it is uh, to go to the hospital. So I agree. I fully agree with you. Well, I won't mention the little store online because I can't I can't give anybody a plug. But there is a nice little local store here in in Prospect where I'm from, Doc. They still are taking your temperatures. <laughs> so well, that's the only good. place I go to because I take my temperature and they wipe my carriage down and hand it to me. I love it. I know, I know. That's fallen by the wayside in many stores now. Not this little <laughs> local one. I'm in love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't care. I said to my husband, I don't care if I pay more. I feel safe. Yeah, no, that's that's important. Yeah, you know, and I want people, I want our community to experience the same thing when they look to access their care. But Because I, I think, you know, coming back to us and seeing what we've done, you can feel so safe. And I think that's the bulk of our messaging today. And I think that's so important to get across. Correct. I fully agree with you and couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing before um, we start getting closer to the end, I wanted to ask you, what are your feelings and what are your thoughts on what they're talking about in a second wave? Do you feel that we are better positioned? I think we are better positioned. Um, I think that at this point, um, you know, the flu season is always difficult for right. hospitals and, and, and the medical profession and patients. So the combination of the flu and COVID will be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in far better positions now with PPE. 
we can do rapid testing both for COVID and for flu and other viruses all on the same test. Mm. So that's not something that we could do easily a year ago in the last flu season. Um, you know, the rapid flu tests are, are not very accurate. Now we have PCR testing that, that, that is the same, it's the same t- platform that we test for COVID. Okay. We can test the flu at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the PCR testing was not as readily available a year ago. And so that has completely flipped. So it, at the very least, uh, we will be able to tell a lot faster and sooner um, whether someone has COVID or the flu or both, as we, we did see that at the tail end of the flu season when COVID started. Wow. We did, you know, the, the talk about, you know, information that was flowing. Initially, it was thought that if you had COVID, you couldn't have the flu. Well, I'm not quite sure why they, we thought that, but because huh. why can't you have both? And sure right. enough, we had there were patients who had both. So, um, you know, so a lot of things were coming out from from the CDC and other places that were ended up not being entirely accurate. So at least that gives us this test will give us a, a, a good indication of what's going on and pretty accurate. Um, like I said, the PPE is much better than it was. Um, everybody's still scrambling uh, for it because there's not enough being made, but it's much better. People are better prepared than they were. Um, so uh, I, we, we're definitely starting at a better place than we did at the end of the flu season last year. I think we were kind of lucky. The flu season was not bad. Right. And then COVID hit. Um, right. But it was pretty much at the end of the flu season, so we didn't have to deal with much of, of the fact that it was both problems at the same time. This year will be, um, because the vaccine will not rescue us in time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I think it will be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only question is to what extent. But we're definitely in a better place than we were to both protect ourselves as well as to treat patients who do get sick. What do you think will cause a second wave? Will it be because people have let their guard down? Will it be potentially because people are going back to school? You know, people are more congregating. I mean, we have to keep our mask on, of course, I would say, until we get a vaccine. Yeah, um, it's hard to say. It's hard, you know, it's unfortunately I don't have a crystal ball, otherwise I would also use it for the lottery. But, (laughs) but, you know, I, I, um, I think that the, the combination of the flu will make it worse. I mean, it's, it's whether it's, you know, uh, I think we talk about a second wave purely COVID, but this will be a combination. So, um, I, the important thing is we're going to have to maintain the same, the, the same care and and continue the same processes that we have now. Now, the mere fact that everybody is wearing a mask and is and is washing their hands well will, in and of itself, improve the flu season. So, I mean, a lot of people during Christmas time would be sharing food and mm-hmm. you know would be going into the popcorn bowl or uh, with you know yeah. together. And, you know, the, the norovirus would be spreading through groups of people or families. You know, that uh, I'm hoping that the good habits that we sorely needed to learn anyway mm. um, um, are, are now much more firmly ingrained. So I truly believe 
the, the, the flu virus will not necessarily be as bad as it could be simply because everybody is going to be doing social distancing, hopefully washing hands well and wearing masks. So that right. will take care of, you know, trying to keep the, cur- the, the curve flat with both the flu as well as COVID. That's, you know, it, it it's scary because it's like the fear of the unknown for sure. But I, I feel more confident because I feel we have always have a plan in place now because we've been through the worst and we know what we need to do to stop a progression. And I think people will be more vigilant once they see if numbers start going up to pause and take it more right. seriously, hopefully. Yep. yep. So I think the same measures that we're taking to prevent a second or a, a, another bump up with COVID right. will also help us with the flu. But the but the flu season will make it more difficult. Um, but I really, truly believe the good habits, like I said, will, will serve us well in the future. And even when COVID's hopefully over one of these days, um, the, the, the good habits that we learned will continue. I frankly don't think that we will ever not be wearing masks anymore. Hmm. Frankly, we we should have been wearing masks a lot earlier. Hmm. Um, And I think just by doing that, we will keep ourselves and everybody else a lot safer than than they would have been had we not gotten into this mask um, phase. So my producer here, Johnny K, has a huge question for you. So I'm going to let him jump oh, in. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the testing. You hear about them sticking something all the way up your nose <laughs> to your brain. And Correct. And is that the only test? And is the test a- accurate? Now, there's a lot of misinformation about the testing. Is the, is the testing accurate? Um, there, Like you said, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of, um, you know, all of these tests have not been fully vetted and studied. Um, you might remember not long ago, the Abbott test was released and they had a huge number of, they had huge problems with that in terms of accuracy. So, um, you know, I go back to the fact that, you know, things were pushed out so quickly because there was a huge need, but the usual vetting process was not, was not done properly. The CDC, when they, right, when this all started, uh, was was making kits, but they were contaminated. They didn't follow their own procedures in terms of manufacture, so that set us all back oh about gosh. a month. Wow! So there are huge problems with all of these tests. So you don't, we don't have a great number for accuracy. What I can tell you with reasonable certainty is, if you have a positive test, it is reasonably accurate. The negatives have a wide range of 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 inaccuracy so it ranges from somewhere around 30 percent theoretically to less than that um i cannot tell you with any certainty whether because now you have the saliva test for the for the covid test and you have the nasal Hmm. so um the saliva test is new right doc the saliva test is really new. the saliva test is relatively new and i don't have good data to say how accurate they are it they are again if it's positive the accuracy is is much better than if it's a negative but i cannot i don't have good data on any of them comparing them head to head and do they really put that q-tip that far up there they do johnny yep (laughs) Yep. it's one of those things that it's much better to give than to receive (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you very much and thank you for being on the front line uh you know to help us uh, get over this 
Well, thank you, and I hope uh, I hope your listeners, um, you know, um, if they do have an issue, don't hesitate to seek emergency care um, so that something bad doesn't happen. And it would be a shame if if if, if that occurred for for the wrong reasons and the fear of COVID. So Absolutely. hopefully it was a uh, but it was a pleasure to talk to both of you. And um, thanks. Thanks, Doc. I'm so happy you could join us tonight. You took, you know, took the time out of of helping everyone at the Travelers, and I'm so happy you were so flexible to join me on the radio tonight. So, everyone, this is our Chair of Emergency Medicine at Trinity Health in New England at St. Francis Hospital, Dr. Stephen Wolf, and it has been an absolute honor to have you on the program. And I look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reserve the right to bring you back at some point when we're beyond COVID. Okay, that's a deal. Okay. Thanks, Doc. All righty. Thanks very much. Take care, both of you. Bye-bye. So I had to let Doc go a little bit early because he's closing up the uh, tent at um, the the Travelers. And this is a, a physician that... You know, I've learned this about many emergency room physicians. They are tireless. Uh, I know Dr. Peter Jacoby, who's our chair of emergency medicine at uh, St. Mary's Trinity Health of New England. He's nonstop. He's like the Energizer Bunny. Uh, well, you know, I appreciate this. getting, you know, hearing a doctor that's been on the front line and Absolutely. getting real information. You know, I, I really appreciate that. Especially so. somebody that's within our system, right? Because so we not, get so many different, yeah. you know. You know and here's somebody right here in Connecticut, right which there. is so yeah. important. Yeah. Right here, right here in Connecticut, <laughs> seeing what the Connecticut, what, what's important for us within yes, the state exactly. of Connecticut and how important it is for us to be able to learn um, from the special. That's why I've been taking our program and really bringing in some of our regional feel too because it, it gives you more of a sense of security when you can hear it from a larger audience right. who can give you information. Because it's scary to, you know, to think about going to the hospital these days. So, it I mean, it's scary. good that it's, it, it's you so, know it's back to almost normal. It's so important. You know, what we're seeing when patients are coming into our emergency room um, with cardiac issues, we're seeing patients that truly should have come in much sooner. Yeah. You know, we're doing procedures on patients where before they've had, they would have come in with symptoms that are a little bit milder and they would be treated with medication. Now they're, you know, they're having cardiac arrests and, and right. things along those lines, which could have been avoided had they number one access care from their healthcare provider. Done I know, the but testing the, there again, to we do. were told, hey, stay away and stay live. Away. <laughs> yeah, so. And I think for a month or so, that was definitely yeah, important. Right. But if you're having symptoms, you shouldn't delay. No, you're right. You're right. You know, I do know that, you know, um, people that were going to our, um, access their cancer care, they, they kept those services open. We needed to make sure patients were getting their infusions and everything they need. But they were so afraid because they're so vulnerable. Right. Exactly. Right? They're really open to. They are absolutely so vulnerable. Stuff. So we um, wanted to take, again, take this program tonight to focus on what we did see as a healthcare system in um, access to care through our emergency rooms. It wasn't just unique to us. It was all across the country. And there was that 50% drop of people actually accessing emergency room care. Those numbers, as Dr. Wolf um, intimated to, are definitely going up. I think some of the things that we are not going to see right away, and I think it's because right in the beginning especially, people weren't out. So we didn't see those people that are car accidents or people that are playing sports or anything along those lines. I don't like to see those coming because we don't want to see anyone get hurt. But, you know, those volumes um, were definitely impactful because people weren't out. 
people were staying home. So more and more, um, you're going to see that. We are going to probably um, take our program and expand on some other services moving forward that are really important for you to access your care. We want to ensure that you know, you're know you not waiting. We want to talk to our gastroenterologists, our um, primary care physicians, our cardiologists on what they saw individually within their specialties. And I'm probably going to be in the future bringing in a couple of our surgeons, our general surgeons, to talk about the safety of how they're performing surgery now and what their world looks like and how it may look a little bit different. So we are, um, I think we're pretty close to the end, right, Johnny? A couple more minutes. So what I'd like to do um, at this point, too, is um, reach out to everyone in the audience. And if you have anything particular that you want to hear about that we haven't covered, please shoot me an email. It's Robin dot sills s-i-l-l-s at trinity health of n-e that's n is in nancy e is in england dot org so robin dot sills at trinity health of n-e dot org let me know if there's any topics you would like to hear from or hear about um, in regards to beyond covid um, and what we can bring on for you for our healthcare specialists across the region we will be making this a podcast um, all of the shows thanks to johnny for sending me the updates um, johnny sends us the tape um, for the very next day we upload it on our podcast so you can go on itunes and download medically speaking we have our full library of our physicians and topics um, of available for you. Um, yeah, it's difficult because now we're doing a lot of things virtually. Um, so we're not able to do all the get togethers and programmings that we did in the past, but we have a brand new web website. So if you go on Trinity Health of NE, Org, you will be able to go on and um, see our brand new website and it shows you all of our um, locations, all five of our locations, um, St. Mary's Hospital, Johnson Memorial, St. Francis, Mount Sinai, and Mercy in Springfield. I think I got them all. And you'll be able to see the services um, throughout our region. And you'll also be able to um, see all the physicians that are part of our, um, med- um, our Trinity Health of New England Medical Group, as well as part of our uh, clinically integrated network, so across the region. So a lot of information. I encourage you to go on. We have some really good um, programs within the system itself that you can go on and watch virtually. So I want to thank everyone for joining me tonight. This is Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health of New England, have a safe and wonderful weekend.